Hello everyone and welcome to the Inspire Your Life podcast with me your host Aarti Rabikrasoon. I believe we find inspiration all around us, especially from the stories that we all have in us. My aim with the Inspire Your Life podcast is to bring some of those real stories to light, stories of my guests that resonate with you and me. It's by listening to these stories that we can be inspired and motivate ourselves to overcome find a new path and rise even higher than we thought possible. Joining me on the show today is Lara Augusta, founder of Embracing Potentiality. Today we are going to be talking about undoing complicated narratives. Lara is a coach, student, and facilitator in DEI, Core Energy Leadership Coaching, Energy Leadership Index, Social Emotional Learning, and Positive Intelligence, or PQ. She does corporate work in a number of sectors since pivoting away from international relations in industries that include biotechnology, insurance, sports, food, hospitality, entertainment, and even the Olympics, everyone. Having lived in many countries such as South Korea and China, Russia, Switzerland, the UK, the US, and of course her native country, Brazil, plus having traveled to more than 57 countries too, Lara brings this varied experience into her work with individuals where she helps them deepen their understanding of self towards greater personal and professional levels of joy and satisfaction. And she does this using neuroscience and psychology practices with some key techniques grounded in energy shifting too. Lara, this diversity and variety sounds so fascinating, I must say, along with your experience. I'm keen to know more. So welcome to the Inspire Life podcast today. Hi, Athi. Thank you so much. Wow, what a great energy you put on to the introduction. I appreciate for you. I appreciate you for having me here. Oh, no, it's my absolute pleasure to have you here. And you've got such an interesting um, background and experience. But you know what, Laura, I've just shared a tiny bit of what you're about. Please just share a bit more. Tell us what Laura is all about. I find it challenging, actually, to define mm-hmm. Laura. Um, this is something that I put into my work and how I choose to show up in life mm-hmm. for myself and for my family, for my friends, for those around me, for the people that I get to work with. Okay. Leave myself open to be discovered. Mm-hmm. My background, uh, I, I do often have to simplify what Lara, you know, who Lara Augusta is in order to mm-hmm. make questions. So you've done a great job on that, you know, by uh, introducing me through the bio. Right. And um, however, my background professionally is in international relations and education. And it's something that I've always been in touch with mm-hmm. since I was really, really small. I've always mm-hmm. been very interested in different ways of being, in different cultures, in different ways of connecting with people, in different ways of understanding uh-huh. uh, living. And um, different ways of how is it that we learn? Yes. Because people learn differently. 
Uh, we understand what's being passed on to us differently, yes. which what to do with what's being passed on to us differently. Yes. So it's something that I've always been naturally curious with. Okay. Said, I am originally from Brazil, and um, I did get to grow up most of my life in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, my earlier years, I'm just getting used to that since I'm uh, already 40 now. Okay. <laughs> However, my older years has been spent throughout the world, not only mm-hmm. traveling, but also studying, working, um, and uh, exploring. Yeah, I love that. I love that exploration, but I could certainly get that, um, you know, just even from your bio. And it just means that there's a wealth of experience and expertise and life experience specific- specifically. But I know, Lara, when, when we were sort of chatting ahead of us doing the episode, you mentioned to me that there were some really complicated narratives in your background, um, and as you mentioned, in, in when you were growing up in childhood. Is there a way you could maybe help us understand some of those internal narratives that were, that were happening at the time? That's correct, Arthi. Well, I was born, like I mentioned, I was born in Brazil out of a situation that at the time I had to learn it was a complicated one. Mm-hmm. I had to keep it a secret. Okay. Well, uh, I'm, as I was born out of a relationship in which my parents were not married to mm-hmm. each. My father was married and he had a relationship outside of his marriage with my mom. Mm-hmm. And my mom, as a single mom, she really taught me how to keep that situation sacred. We've always maintained a very good relationship. However, my father wasn't always necessarily present in my life. He was present in my life the way that he was able to be present in my life. He was a public figure at the time. So it's something that we had to be extra protective of. Uh And um, uh, my my mom had a lot of fears and a lot of insecurities naturally around the situation mm-hmm. and without going too much into their own stories yes i'm very comfortable sharing my experience of 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 that story and how i came into this world absolutely um however for a really long time in my life you know for as long as i can remember because i did grow up in that environment in which, like, I had to keep this a secret. I, it wasn't something that I could expose or share. It's just so natural for children to share who is your dad, who is your mom, right? Yeah. And still being such a paternalistic society, most people, especially a lot of the places that we got to, li- to live in, they were very curious to learn who my father was. Okay, And a lot of the times that meant they would also assign different meaning and value to our exchanges and to our relationship based on who my father was. Okay. okay. Right? Whose daughter is she? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they had very little interest in learning who my mother was. And there was a little bit of a stigma already around her being a single mom. So there was extra curiosity around okay. who my father was. Mm-hmm. That was painful for me to, you know, I understood that I had to respect and protect this part of our story. Yes. But as a child, especially someone who is not shy, <laughs> yes, um, 
and love connections. I love meaningful, forming meaningful connections. It was a huge violation of my being to have to not only hide this part of my story, yes, but also not be able to introduce myself as the daughter of my mom, as the daughter of my dad, mm-hmm. without without the backlash of it, without the consequences to it. Yes, yes, yes. So I lived in there was there was some shame involved. There was some mm-hmm. fear involved. There was mm-hmm. guilt involved. Not that at first I felt it myself. Yes. Again, I was a child. But eventually that was the environment my mom was in and passed on to me. Ah, okay. Okay. And and there was there were certain things that I that I remember you sharing came up for you in terms of that inner voice and those phrases that were coming up for you as you were going through, you know, this growth process in this environment. Could you share some of those with us? Well, as a child, and that's for pretty much any child. Yeah. Uh we have the need to attach, right? That's our survival. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our instincts puts us into that place in which we accept the environment we're in, we adapt to it, yes, and we integrate that environment, that story, those narratives into our lives in order to be able to be loved, cared for, accepted, to be able to uh, be to be able to grow and be Mm -hmm. strong, right? Mm -hmm. To to survive, to be able to Mm -hmm. be enough to only then be able to question our choices, only then to question the choices of those around us, mm-hmm. choose again and, and start making our own choices around them. Yes. For, for a really long time, you know, as I can remember, like I grew up with this main narrative in my mind that unfortunately, you know, for my early years, I felt like I was an inconvenience, that I didn't, mm-hmm. that I was inadequate, that I didn't mm-hmm. belong. Unsure mm-hmm. if I was wanted, you know, this child outside of a man. Yes. Unsure if I was accepted. Unsure if you know if I was loved. Mm-hmm. And this was very strongly associated with with what I had to learn to keep it a secret, to keep it, you know, to act. Mm-hmm. My mom and I we moved a lot around, and and mostly what I have been told at that time was to keep ourselves in hideout, to be away. Mm-hmm be detrimental to my father's permanent career and status and exposure of, you know, our families. Yes. Yeah. So for that reason, I was like often in new schools and having to make new friends, to adapt, to assimilate, to connect mm-hmm. somehow, like real fast. That was like my survival skill it was like, we're going to get to know each other really fast because I don't know yes. how long I'm going to be here for. Wow. So I adapted, I, which in a way it's a gift, really. Mm-hmm. I regret this. It's a gift that I'm able to walk into absolutely any environment and talk to absolutely anyone mm-hmm. and not present myself as a threat. Absolutely. I mean, in in that sort of environment, to still be able to take away um, gems like this, like you're saying, it's actually made it, it's become a gift for you to be able to do that because many people aren't able to do that, right? So that that's beautiful as well. It's very hard to have that kind of self awareness and self consciousness as a child. That's you don't. That's right. Don't have that as a. I I am grateful for this having been my go to as my survival mode. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. But at some point in my life, I learned that 
that choice as a surviving mode was not allowing me to thrive. It was, yeah. it was, it was still hurting me that I wanted to show up as my whole self. Okay. Uh, okay, maybe that's an important point as well, right? Because, you know, the self-awareness component, especially in a child, um, in, in circumstances like what you've shared, when, when did you realize this though, that the survivor mode is actually not helping you in any way? And then what did you actually do then to begin a process of altering that sort of survival sort of state or mindset? Hmm. Well, every time that someone asked me, which was really often, you know, who my father was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this new environment, mm-hmm. it wasn't just my sense of self that was at stake. It was also my sense of community, okay. right? So um, I often questioned, like, if I tell you who my father is, how does that change your opinion of me? Mm-hmm. Will you change the attention that it's invested in this interaction? Mm-hmm. So each time that I kept questioning all these external factors for my need and passion for meaningful connection, it felt like a punch in the gut, really. Mm-hmm. And I just internalized that for a really long time. I questioned that a lot. It was something that I wasn't e- willing to easily <laughs> accept because I, I, I f- when I feel, I feel really strongly. And um, so much so that even like when I had birthday parties, you know, my mom was like, would make birthday parties for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she would invite all these people from my school and all. I was, I remember being sick at most of my birthday parties as a child. I would get physically ill because of how much I was afraid to show up in community and how upset I was to show up in community without being able to show up as myself whole. Mm-hmm. And, and your body does keep the score, doesn't it? And at some point, again, when I, you know, when I was old enough and strong enough to make some of my own choices, mm-hmm. I rewinding, like backtracking first. At first, you know how in the United States and a few other different countries, you have the Sweet Sixteen, and yes, it's a, you know, yes. I was fourteen in Brazil. It's fifteen, and a lot of Latin American countries also like fifteen. It's the quinceanera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my father asked me if I wanted a party or if I wanted to travel. And I told him at the time I wanted to travel. And for me, at first, my, my first reaction wasn't, I can stay here and, you know, keep going through this. Mm-hmm. I actually wanted to run away. I wanted to run away oh, so badly yeah, from that yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. However, I chose to do it in a way that was somewhat responsibly <laughs> you're right <laughs> i wasn't just really gonna like get out on the streets and like leave my home and whatnot yes so i figured out a way that i could get my parents buy-in into yes. removing myself from that situation because it was okay. suffocating it was absolutely suffocating. Yes. so I, I told my parents i wanted to travel and uh, my father at the time he thought it was i don't know maybe like a 10 days in Disney World with friends and whatnot. And it was like, no, okay. no, I want to live abroad. And he didn't give me much credit at first. Mm-hmm. He, uh, as a matter of fact, his way of not giving me, you know, this a lot of credit, he posed a lot of different challenges to me. Okay. Well, you know, you're going to have to find out a good school you can go to, have credit transfers. The year, the school year is not the same in Brazil as it is because it starts in January in Brazil, most mm-hmm. places. It's, um, and 
you need to find, you know, flight tickets. You need to be able to budget in, in your time there. You, um, you know, he gave me like, he posed all these different challenges to me. And that was pre-Google. Mm-hmm. Pre, <laughs> that's how old I am. That was yeah. pre-Google. That was pre-computers at home, at least in my household. I didn't have one. Yeah. And you wouldn't have done a difference. I mean, there was no search engine. Yeah. And I was 14 years old. What I did at the time, I I was so looking forward to like escaping that situation. Yeah. yeah. That I took a bus, a two-hour bus ride to Brasilia, which was yeah. the, the capital. And I visited embassies, like Canadian embassy, mm-hmm. the British embassy. And I took like those huge books because at the time there were the the schools they they used to have like some enormous um books they yeah. look like own books you know introducing like all of their programs mm-hmm. i did all research i went into travel agencies i you know fi- found out how to budget i asked help through my school um of english as a second language so yes. I, I was very resourceful in trying to find a way to to get out of that situation Amazing. Yeah, yeah. that situation. And within three months, I came back to my dad with like this full on business presentation. Mm. My top three choices of school and my reasoning behind each one of them. Obviously, I already had my own choice, (laughs) but I had to show him that I had done the work that I had done and that I was ready for this experience. And he was sick. Lord, that I I really surprised him with that. Mm-hmm. You took it so seriously. Yeah, you invested in this. Yeah. Wow. She she means business. Absolutely. So he was like, okay, all right, then you're going. And I went to England for a year. I studied in a school in Oxford for a year. And that was my first time to be completely removed from the environment that I had grown up in. Yeah. People could not care less who my father was. <laughs> All this, and nobody would ask, right? And he yes. was, like, and it was, it was the first time that I was allowed to experiment with my own choices as well. Yeah, just be you. you just know? be me. Yeah, just be me. You know, my mom was so afraid of our situation that she had controlled every single choice in my life up until then. Yeah, even back back use for the school year. You know, like I wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to make choices. That that's how much control like she yes. needs. Yeah. And it was it was extremely freeing going back. And mm-hmm. the time that I was able to question my choices, experiment with my choices, make my own mistakes, deal with the consequences of them. So when I, when I went back to Brazil, I felt a lot more empowered okay. to also question my parents. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, when I went back to Brazil, I started actually teaching English as a second language. Okay. And um, my parents, because of a different situation, they emancipated me. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was 16, I was making crazy money for a 16-year-old. Mm. <laughs> I was emancipated. So I started just letting my parents know what I was up to. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I, I was like, listen, this, you know, this weekend I'm going to be traveling and I'm going to be doing this. They're like, uh, no, you're not. You have to do it. I'm like, no, 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 I'm letting you know. And this is where I'm staying. These are the phone numbers, you know, mm-hmm. but I ownership of what choices I wanted to make. Okay. And I still had that narrative though. And I un- only understood that I had that narrative, that I was an inconvenience, that I didn't mm-hmm. belong. When obviously it was very challenging for my parents to deal with my newfound independence. Yes. And 
one day I ran away, you know, to go to this concert. Okay. I didn't think I was so upset. I didn't even let them know. I was like, what's the point? You know, we're going to argue again. So I just okay. left. Yeah. And uh, it was a Gloria Gaynor concert. Big fan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when I came back, my father was so upset. He took me on this car ride to like really lash out on me. So um, in a confined space, it wasn't mm-hmm. much conversation, nor did I have control of what, where we were going. Mm-hmm. Very one-sided conversation, and he really took the reins on it. And for some reason, he felt the need at some point to say, you, sh- you need to look at your mom and your dad as examples in life, because we've never made a mistake. Mm. And I was like, oh, excuse me? <laughs> mm. Mm. That was the first time that it was like the loudest, loudest alert to myself, and I was yeah. very clear about it. He didn't call me a mistake. He didn't say that. Nobody has ever called me a mistake or anything. Yes. It was a calling to me because when he said that, my first reaction was like, what do you mean you've never made a mistake? I am mm-hmm. your walking, talking, feeling, living, breathing mistake. Yeah. 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 And that tore me apart. That I was able to think that like that, mm-hmm. having triggered by his you know self-righteousness trip <laughs> yes 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 it was a trigger to me and it was a huge alert. and that's what sometimes like triggers well a lot of the times yeah that's what triggers do to you they're they're, they're calling your attention to something that you need to address well this is it so i mean in yeah i, I love i love how you're putting forward the story to us and and sharing with us your triggers and you know, at that time, potentially, and also how that narrative started to change, you know, given your level of independence um, and given this new awareness based on what your dad, you know, sort of said to you in that car ride. And it's making me think now, you know, Lara, why, and maybe articulate this for our listeners, why is it then so important that we all undertake this process of, you know, undoing, unraveling? the narratives, especially these unproductive ones that we have in us? What would you say? Such a big question. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is key because a lot of a lot of us, we can go through our entire lives just carrying on unserving narratives yes. through different phases of our lives, and they just become too heavy to carry at some point. Mm. And we can't pinpoint, you know, why is it that I've ended up here. Yes. How, how so many people ask themselves to, you know that today they've asked themselves that throughout history how did I end up here? Yeah. And that comes from that missing the opportunities that the challenges give you, the triggers give you, those negative feelings give you. Mm-hmm. We put such a bad rap on what I call catabolic feelings. Yes. You know the nagging ones, the ones yes. that 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 really weights you down. Yes. Such a bad rap on them, but what they're doing is actually they're informing you at all times mm-hmm. that something's not right with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That something is not right with your environment. That something's not right with the choices that you're allowing to be made in your life. Mm-hmm. And at the point, you, we are responsible for our choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a child, not necessarily. Again, we're 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 looking at we're looking. We're adapt very quickly to survive. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But at some point, what you've carried as a narrative as a child or as a teenager in order to be accepted, in order to be loved, in order to be cared for, in order to be fed, in order to be safe, Mm -hmm. at some point of your life, you just got to look at that with grace and compassion. Mm -hmm. Thank yourself for having done that for yourself, for having allowed yourself to go through that in order to survive. Mm-hmm. If that was the case, right? It's not every situation, but if that was the case, case, yeah. Love yourself for having done through, you know, for having done that for yourself. Yes, and then check yourself in with with yourself in the present. Yeah, where are you at? What does it still serve you? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if it no longer serves you, that's okay. Honor it for what it was, and start choosing. What will serve you from today on so you can build that reality, so you can build the circumstances, so you can experience what you choose to? Mm. I mean, that's that's powerful in terms of, you know, having that check-in and then having that knowledge about the choices, you know, in terms of steps to move forward. That's so important. And I think we forget that, Laura, oftentimes, you know, especially when that narrative is so loud in your in your head. Right, it it consumes and drowns out every other sort of rational thought that could come in. But I guess what you're suggesting is is that there's some work that needs to be done in that internal sort of component of you know love yourself, give yourself permission, um, hear what it has to say, but then take the mantle up of the challenge to sort of say, all right, I hear you, I acknowledge you, but I don't need to continue in that way. I can choose something else. Mm. I choose to behave in a different way too. So that's and, quite powerful. And even though I had I had often offered myself those opportunities, mm-hmm. I also often questioned it. It's important to have because you're in that loop, right? Yes. That's all you know. That's all yes, you've yes, grown yes. accustomed to. Yes. So it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. You don't go to the gym one time and then you leave the gym fit. <laughs> you know, if only. It's all, oh my God. <laughs> um, I'm fine enough for God. <laughs> totally. I agree. <laughs> it's, it's it's constant work. It's constant self-check. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's constant um, allowing yourself as well to have the right mm-hmm. support through it. And sometimes that support comes because you sought it. And so, yes. sometimes that support comes because you were just doing the work and open to it. Absolutely. And that's what happened to me about like three years ago, about three years mm-hmm. ago. I was completely emotionally de- deregulated for having shared story mm-hmm. and coaching session. I was being coached through okay. it. Yeah. Then I hopped into a neuroscience course where an amazing scientist, you know, coach, neuroscientist, psychologist, she's mm-hmm. outstanding. She chose, she was, she asked that this was like 700 people in the room. Yes. And she asked for someone to come up on screen to be um, coached through yes. something they're going through, and I just, I just put there in the message super shyly because I was so afraid to show up. I was so mm-hmm. afraid to expose myself. I was so afraid mm-hmm. to speak up for all of those things that you know, all those back of the mind narratives. Yes, that it doesn't matter what I have to say. I don't matter. I'm, I don't belong. I'm not welcomed. You know, yes. etc. That I just put there very shyly among like, you know, hundreds of people putting there what they wanted yeah. to talk. I was like, I can't spend another day without showing up authentically. I want mm-hmm. to show myself. 
you know, flaws and all. And so she, I'm ready for that. And so she mm-hmm. pitched me to go on screen and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. what did I sign up for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my Pandora box was already open. Like I said, I had just like 20 minutes before had just yeah. left coaching session in which right. I, right. I, I was, I was still emotionally deregulated because of the process. I haven't integrated or reset myself yet. Yes. So as I show up, I have like my face is still like, you know, puffed up and all. And when she starts coaching me, then I'm like, boom, I derail again. Mm. And she offered me such a beautiful gift. Uh She was like, I see you. Mm. It's so simple. I see you. And she's and like, no wonder you feel this way. Mm. Anyone who have gone through this would have felt the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that compassion, that grace that I I've I've have tried so many times to to offer to myself. Yeah. I found it, it was I was open to the experience. I was terrified. Yes. I was open yes. to the yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. And with that, she asked me some incredible questions, you know, mm-hmm. in which eventually everybody was in tears with me. I had like yes. people reaching out and all of that. There was so much love and, mm-hmm. and support and room for that in yes. the room that um, some people were asking at some point and you, you're you in coaching. Some people ask, yes. what's the difference between, you know, psychology and coaching? Yes. And what just happened? And it was a very fine line because I was very emotionally deregulated and working on a, a story that I, that had kept me stuck in the past. Of course. But she also shone this brilliant light on the experience for every all the coaches in there, you know, for like all the okay. seven people in there, yes. which I, yes, she, she was like pouring herself, pouring a lot of herself out. Yeah. But at the same time, she was present with herself as she poured herself out. Of course. There was a great amount of self-awareness and the willingness to not stay stuck, to move forward with that story and to choose a different narrative around it. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's why it was a coaching session. Yeah. I mean, it's not, that was powerful and publicly powerful too, right? Oh. But there you were. <laughs> You know, I can, I could, I can picture it. Absolutely, can picture it. Um, it was so healing. It was so healing. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. I, I mean, Lara, oh, we were having such a beautiful conversation today, and you, I mean, you're sharing so much of your experiences, um, things that we can do as well to actually start the process or continue the process, even you know, if we're on this journey of of these narratives and and trying to uncomplicate them for for, for ourselves. As we as we come to the close, I'd love it if you could share an overarching thought that you want to leave with our listeners today about their journey, about their process, and and something that can motivate them to keep going on this journey because there's so much more in store for them. What would you say? Choose yourself. <laughs> yeah. Just choose yourself. We can't pour out an empty cup. Yeah. And. Uh, once we choose to take a good look at ourselves and to be present with ourselves, yeah, there's a lot of beauty that can come out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, to offer ourselves grace, to offer ourselves compassion, to offer ourselves love, 
and to honor all the choices that we've made to this day that brought us to where we are today. We're here. Mm. And how empowering it is to look back and and instead of completely dissecting everything that has gone wrong, to shine a light on everything on everything that has gone right. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That perspective, that reframe, right? That I, among it's, my parents and all I care, even yeah. throughout my life, we could have chosen, yeah. you know, to to argue. We could have chosen to um, you know, have this animosity among the family. We could have chosen, it could have gone so many different, we could have chosen, you know, all kinds of different yes. ways of supporting each other, but we each did the best that we could with what we knew mm-hmm. at each of, you know, the different times of our lives. Yeah. And today, we've already had this conversation as well. Today, I was like, I'm so grateful for you having, you know, each one of them to have been in my life the way they've, mm. they, could show up for my life. Yes, yes. And whatever it was that made them show up, whether it was obligation, whether it was fear, whether it was the need for control, whatever, whatever was their reason, whether it was love, whatever was their reason, they showed up the way they mm-hmm. could. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. You know, and I did it. But we also have the freedom of choice. And today we do get to keep each other in each other's lives. Yes. Choosing to do so. Absolutely. So choice, choosing yourself. Lovely. I love that. (laughs) Lara, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today, getting to know more about you and your experiences. And thank you for inspiring all of us on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Yar. This is is great. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. You take care, Lara. Likewise. Have a great one. You, You too. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode today. If you like what you heard, rate the episode and podcast and feel free to write a review. Plus, of course, share with others too. I love talking around topics like these. So if you like my perspective or insight on a subject close to your heart or something that you're grappling with, reach out to me in your comments or send me an email via my website or connect with me via LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. All my social media are on the podcast information. If it's important to you, then it's important to me. So happy listening to the Inspire Your Life podcast and catch you soon on the next episode. Bye.